Hey, this is Rob Caggiano from the band Volbeat, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Turn it up. This is John Wetton from Asia. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Jeff Downs from Yes on the Yes 50th, and you're listening to Iron City. Hello and welcome to episode 382 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 382, two very special guests. We have Jeff Downs of the band Yes uh, joining us. He also um, had some other bands prior to Yes. Uh, he was in um, the band The Buggles, who had video kill the radio star, and probably one of the most influential songs of the video music era. Uh, and then he was in the band Asia with John Wetton um, with some amazing smash hit albums uh, also in the 80s and then went on to play with Yes. So uh, we're going to be talking to him. He's going to be coming into town on July 5th uh, to do a show at the Carnegie Music Hall of Oakland. And then we're going to turn our attention to Patrick Meyer. Patrick is the uh, vocalist, the front man, plays the role of Freddie Mercury in the tribute band Killer Queen who are also going to be doing a show at the Carnegie Music Hall of Oakland on July 20th. So let's get into the interview first with Jeff Downs. I'm going to play you a little Jeff's music and get into that interview. I never meant to be so bad to you One thing I said that I would never do from you and I would fall from grace And that would wipe the smile right from my face Do you remember when we used to dance? Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City where we have on the line Jeff Downs of the band Yes. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing very well, thanks. You guys are coming into Pittsburgh on July fifth. Uh, you're you're currently embarking on the fiftieth anniversary tour, which is is you know kind of a golden anniversary. Um, you you've spent a lot of time with the band, uh, been a big part of that history. Can you just kind of can you can you guys take in that fifty years of of this music? I mean, it is you know when you listen to you know the band has never been one that's been built on you know massive radio play and things like that. I mean, does the 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 legacy of the band and, and still doing it at 50 years kind of blow your mind? Yeah, I think I think it shows how strong the, the, and timeless the music is. And I think that uh, certainly, yes, it was always a musician's band. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that really attracted uh, certainly musicians to following a band like yes, that, that each element of that group, and particularly over the years, um, each each element, whether it be a keyboard player or guitarist or, or, or drummer, has, has added something to that legacy. And I think that um, you know, that was one of the, the the key things with Yes is that it's always been a uh, a musician's band, and, and and that's why I think the music is 
has, has stood the test of time and is still going on today. Yeah, and I think you know when you say musicians, Ben, when you think of the legacy of musicians that this band has inspired, is almost more mind blowing than than you you know when you think of radio hits and top ten albums and things like that. But you look at you know the legacy of musicians to follow that that pay homage to to Chris or, or to you know any different form of the lineup is just uh, outstanding. Um, yeah, yeah, and you think, you know, you've got a band like um, the Foo Fighters and mm-hmm. uh, all of them individually cite Yes as being one of their big influences, and that's just that's just one band that's, uh, you know, in, in more recent times that's come through uh, that, that has been influenced by Yes, but there are, as you rightly point out, there are, there are you know, hundreds of bands and hundreds of people that have been influenced by Yes's music over the years. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you guys sit down to put a set list together, I mean, obviously you can only play for for a limited amount of time, and you've got a, a legacy that you know you could play for days without taking a break. Um, and you're not known for the three minute commercial song. Um, how do you put together a set list that tries to scratch the itch of all the different genres of the band? Well, I think we look for the key. We look for the key tracks and significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, albums that, that, that the particularly the musicians on stage have been involved in uh, and sadly as you pointed out we don't have Chris mm-hmm. with us anymore but um, Billy you know Billy's doing a great job and uh, has come come back into the fold and has taken on that role admirably so we, we've got a very very strong uh, musical lineup, I think and so what we try and do is is, is, is select music that I think we're going to be able to Pull off um, effectively with what you know with the lineup that we have at the moment, and and so that in a way it it dictates itself in many ways. It's it's not something we uh, you know, we sit down and say, well, we should do this, that, and the other. I think that everything seems to fall into place quite naturally. And, and for those who are maybe not familiar with progressive music, you know, or maybe not a musician themselves, it, it does always seem kind of mind-boggling the number of notes and the complexity of the music um, it, does that kind of dictate you know you, you maybe can't do such a fluid you know mixing up the set list completely every night or or some of these songs almost to the point of muscle memory with you guys well I, I think that there are certain iconic periods of the band that, that have to be respected and, and mm-hmm. we'll be doing plenty of that and, and um, uh, you know I think it's, it's be a popular set list with the fans sure because we um, we are looking at some of the holy grail material that that brought people on board in the first place, and, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, you know albums like Close to the Edge and Fragile were really the as I think the holy grail for a lot of Yes fans. So we we are looking at, at really a, a history across across as many albums as we can, I think, and as much time as we've got to fit it all in. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you rightly point out, it's it's not easy to uh, to think of 21 or 22 studio albums and, and try and pull out a two-hour set out of that. But yeah. we, we're getting there, and I think we, we're still, still work in progress because we don't start off until next week, but uh, we're, we're pretty close to deciding what we're going to do now. Hmm. Now, back in, in the 80s when you were when you came to join, yes, I mean, you had come off what might be one of the most important pop songs of probably the last 40 years with Video Kill the Radio Star. Um, how did the decision to, to join Yes and kind of 
forego the, the buggles kind of come in was that an easy decision to make or is this something you had to kind of really really think about well it started off more as a writing exercise I think we were managed by the same management company mm -hmm. uh, that's how we got to meet up with the guys in the office one day and at that time there were there were only three of them there was, there was Steve, Chris and Alan so uh, they said you know have you got any material because we would like to uh, we really like the album that you did the Age of Plastic album and uh, Chris was a big, a big advocate of that album. So they invited us into the uh, their rehearsal room one day, and we got, we threw in some ideas, and and they threw in some of their ideas, and we started putting it all together. And then um, they said, well, you know, why why don't you join up with us, and we'll go out and um, we'll make a new Yes album. And that that was a really, uh, with a without being too simplistic about it, that was pretty mm -hmm. much happened. Was was there trepidation on your part I mean you guys had such success you know with with the single and, and you know it's been kind of an iconic thing especially in America I think it can't be understated you know with it's it's you guys were just at the perfect time for MTV where they had like five videos and that yours was every fifth video it seemed like for a couple of years um, yeah, well, it was the first one on that, so. Sure, and, and I think yeah. it was the sixth and the in the eleventh. It was just you know back in those days they had so few videos and so much time to fill. Um, yeah, that that song literally I think is cemented in a, in a generation's head. To yeah, to then, ironically, ironically it wasn't a hit. It wasn't actually a hit first time out in America, which sure. is, um, is strange. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's probably the case. You know, when you look at the early days of MTV. You know, there were some songs, um, you know, we've talked to, to Greg Kinn, for example, with Jeopardy, and, um, you know, Wall of Voodoo was another one, Joe Jackson, you know, there yeah. were some videos in the very early days where you knew if you watched for more than two hours, you were going to see all those songs, because there weren't that many to fill programming, and it was just such yeah, a... Yeah, that's right, that's right, and uh, I think that, um, you know, certainly as far as we were concerned, just going back to the, the reason why I think we... Mm we didn't really go back to the Buggles in a, in a big way. We we did another album uh, post-Yes, but uh, okay. I, I think what, what we we both felt, and, and Trevor Horn and, uh, and I took different paths after that. Mm -hmm. uh, Trevor became a full-time record producer, and I became, that's when I formed Asia with uh, mm -hmm. with, with Steve and John Wetton and Carl Palmer. Um, so we, we took, we, we sort of diverted different paths. I think we both felt at the time that Video Kill the Radio Star was probably not something we were going to top sure. in terms of, uh, of what the Muggles was about. And I think also we we both felt that we had other careers that we wanted to expand on. Sure. Certainly from my own standpoint, um, I really got a taste for playing with a big band and live and playing with Yes yeah. was something special. I, I think Trevor was not so much... And that opinion, and um, you know, I think he wanted to get. He, did, he didn't feel comfortable in that role of mm -hmm. the, the vocalist. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly you know when you look at a career path, you know, it, I think it would probably shock a lot of people to say, okay, you know, here's a, someone who had you know a, a successful pop song, maybe not right off the bat, but you know, certainly a huge yeah. hit in the United States over time. And then to go to something as complicated and serious, I think, as people view Yes music, that's a pretty big leap, you know, from a musician's it is, standpoint. It's a big leap, but I think that, uh, you know, from my own standpoint, uh, I, uh, you know, I was schooled in keyboard playing, so mm -hmm. not um, something that I found 
it was a big leap, but it was not horrendous because sure. I, I, I played keyboards, complicated keyboard parts before. But sure. um, I, I think that, that what we what we felt was that uh, it, it was more really the the outside world that that thought we were a bunch of heretics, you know, heretics coming in, and um, you know, I suppose. Um, changing the, the the whole branding of the Yes la label right. uh, to something that was going to be completely different. And, um, uh, you know, I think the drama album, when we did it, I think quite a few people were actually surprised by by how cohesive it was in terms of a, of a Yes album rather than it uh, and, and, and really moving Yes into a new generation. And I think that's really what we added to the whole proceedings. Yeah, now... When you started Asia, you mentioned it, and that's certainly not something to gloss over. I mean, that was an extremely successful, um, you know, at least on American airways. I think you could hear heat of the moment, uh, really at any moment in time. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, true. you, you kind of had to feel that you had the Midas touch at that point, you know, it, to go from the well, success. Well, I had a very good run, you know, I can't go say. Yeah. I couldn't do with a run like that again, but no, I had a really good run there. Uh, you know, I went straight from the. You know, having all that success with the Buggles, and then, you know, with Yes, and uh, and then onto the Asia, all within about three or four years. And yeah. so, um, you know, and then I, I went on and produced a couple of years later the GTR album. That was so I had a, a very, very, um, uh, very, very good run at, at that point. And and I think I was fortunate in the fact that I was really into keyboards, and keyboards mm -hmm. were starting to dominate music at that point. You know, yeah. Guitars were not, it was not so much uh, guitar orientated stuff, and it, it 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 seemed to work well with the whole video age and that sort of thing. Yeah. These electronic sounds were were almost a backdrop of that age, and and right. so uh, that that was one of the things that I was lucky that I'd I'd really I'd, I'd got a lot of interest in. Uh, you know, I think I was uh, very accomplished at. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost laughable. I know in in preparing to speak to you, I pulled up the Buggles, and it was listed as a a one hit wonder. And I'm looking at that, and just it literally is hysterical to think that you would be labeled as such because you went on to write bigger hits, probably in the U.S. You know, with Asia than yeah. than the Buggles had. And it was like, how does how did someone slap that moniker without doing any research? Well, I think that, that, that people like to put things in boxes, mm -hmm. don't they? And uh, it certainly never really bothered me that much. Mm -hmm. In fact, we we had a, we had another three hits in the UK as the Buggles, but people right. seem to forget that because because Video Killed the Radio Star was such a big song, was such right. an iconic song. Right. Um, people are just happy to just just regard that as being, oh yeah, they're a pair of one hit wonders. As you say, I mean Trevor Horn uh, went on to have a. A, a massive career and still doing it as a record producer. Right. Has had millions and millions of records sold all over the world. So, um, you know, I think that both of us have been, you know, very successful in terms of what, what we did after the bubbles. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the first Asia album. What you sold, what four million in the U.S. just on that alone? No, we were selling album of the year in 1982. Right uh, in America, so uh, and and all over the world as well. So we had sure. um, so we had we had you know a huge following in Japan and, and, and in Europe as well. So it, w it was very much a global uh, a global thing with 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 Asia. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, 
Yeah, and it was, you know, such a fantastic, and it was, you know, great to see John, um, you know, being able to tour, you know, so you know for so many years uh, with yeah, you guys. Yeah, but I think the thing was that the, the other three guys were they had strong roots in the seventies, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of the reasons why um, they they wanted to get out of that and mm-hmm. do something a bit more sure. mainstream. Uh, John was very interested in writing melodic rock songs, and, and so when we teamed up, we were we were the perfect pair in a way because. Um, you know, I'd, I'd had all the experience in doing jingles and pop music and sessions mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, so uh, it 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 became a bit of a marriage in heaven that one. And uh, yeah. certainly, it was uh, you know a very sad moment when uh, you know when John died about eighteen months ago. That was yeah. uh, you know the end of an era for for me because we had such a strong writing partnership. Sure, yeah, it was. It was certainly. It's been a difficult couple of years, obviously, with Chris and. You yeah. know, so so many you know legends of that era. Um, uh, Greg, you know uh, mm-hmm. Greg Lake. So it's been right. been it's been a rough couple of years, that's for sure. Um, can I ask what drew you back into the Yes fold? Um, you know, most recently, which was what around 2011 ish or so. What what kind of brought you home to to the band? You know, on a personal level. Um, I think it was when Trevor was doing the last. Um, they asked Trevor to come back and produce an album which was uh, uh, included some songs that I'd written with Trevor years ago mm-hmm. and, and I think Trevor said you know well why don't we get Jeff in to play these because um, you know they're his songs so they got me into to, um, to effectively just come and play on it and then I think they said well you know actually we'd like, we'd like you to rejoin the band and that was sort of going back to 2011. Now, um, can you kind of compare your style? I mean, when you when you play Rick's, you know, some of the the pieces that Rick wrote. I mean, do you tend to try to do those in sort of Jeff the way Jeff would play them, or do you try to stick more with how Rick had played? You know, some of those older Yes material. Well, I think you've got to acknowledge that there are signature parts there that need mm-hmm. to be adhered to, and I sure. think that. Uh, I spend a lot of time trying to get recreate the sounds as much as the uh, the parts as well mm-hmm. because I think the sounds themselves are as as important as the uh, the actual notes and I think that uh, certainly uh, during that period of when Fragile close to the edge, um, Rick was at the top of his game in terms of the sounds that he was using. So um, it's it's a very interesting uh, academic challenge if you like to sure. uh, to look at uh, some of those parts and, and try and recreate them as best you can do you have to and forgive me not being a keyboard player but to, you know obviously with guitars there's modeling and, and there's you know certain pieces of equipment is there ways to sample maybe Rick's playing or do you have to go in search of you know some of that vintage gear that he may have used in 1976 or something like that well, I, I, I do a combination, but generally speaking, I'll, um, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll work on simulations. You know, the, the mm-hmm. keyboard development has been so um, intense over the last few years, particularly right. in terms of uh, computer plugins and um, you know, modelling of those old instruments. Sure. So, so I, I work a lot with that that sort of stuff and. Uh, uh, and, and just try and uh, you know emulate as, the, the sounds as closely as possible. 
That's fantastic. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your time. Again, you guys are coming into Pittsburgh on July 5th. Uh, it should be a, a magical evening, the golden anniversary of Yes. And, 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 and I'd be remiss not to ask, I mean, do you guys have plans for you know, maybe a follow-up to the 2014 album? Or, or what's on the horizon beyond this? Or is this just, are you guys just going to do well, this for now and see how it goes? I think we, we want to do another album. I think that uh, there are ideas floating about. And, um, you know, I think when a band continues, I think it's a good idea to keep making music. Sure. Even if it might not have the same commercial impact that it had when it was, when the band's heyday, as you, if you like. But certainly, uh, I think it keeps the band fresh and it keeps the fans interested. And so I think it's important, rather than just... Uh, this is much more significant thing, the 50th anniversary. Sure. Uh, because we, you know, we try to play uh, and, and give a good cross section of the music that's already been recorded. But certainly, when we go out again, I think it will be. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be incorporating some new material. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much, and, and I wish you all the best. And we'll see you when you get into Pittsburgh. Okay, John. Look forward to it. All right, a big thank you to Jeff Downs, uh, again, going to be in town with Yes on the 5th, uh, doing their 50th anniversary. It was really cool to get a chance to talk to him. I appreciated his time talking about the Buggles. I think uh, many of us who grew up in the MTV era, um, you know, that was probably a bigger deal than than Yes at the time even. Uh, and Asia was certainly a band that, uh, you know, when you look back on the history of classic rock, you know, the kind of arena bands, Asia just a phenomenal set of work so it's really cool to indulge some questions and what a legacy uh, as a musician to play in all three of those bands uh, we're going to turn our attention now to uh, a man Patrick Myers who has got um, you know their tribute bands all over doing the works of many many different artists uh, current artists deceased artists uh, Patrick is uh, kind of taking it to a different level we've had very few tribute bands on the show uh, but Patrick's uh, kind of, I think, a cut above the norm with what he does with the band Killer Queen. Uh, really takes it to a level of authenticity uh, that, that is kind of unheard of. And, uh, you know, I always find tribute bands a little bit easier um, when the, the original band isn't in a touring state now. And obviously we lost Freddie Mercury many decades ago, for, for especially in the United States, as we talk about in the interview. Many people, you know, have the generation that would be interested in, in them now weren't alive or were too young or they hadn't toured in, in the United States in so, so long uh, that a lot of people were too young when they did tour. So um, phenomenal uh, live performance. You get a chance to check out the YouTube clips. We'll put some of those on ironcityrocks.com. And let's get into that interview with Patrick now talking about Killer Queen. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to the show from the band Killer Queen. We have Patrick Myers on the line. How are you doing, Patrick? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, wonderful. I'm, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Killer Queen has been in Pittsburgh on previous tours. Is that correct? Uh, no, I don't no. think. I think this is our first time in Pittsburgh. Okay, I apologize. Um, can you give people a little bit of a sense? I mean, I've watched some videos on the band, and you know, very grand. I think what you, you you almost have to be when you're doing the music of Queen, very grand stage performance. But can you give folks kind of an idea, just in summary, of what you're all about? 
Okay, well, I mean, for me, when I was growing up, and, and I think it remains for a lot of people, uh, Freddie Mercury uh, and Queen, as, as musicians and performers, provided the kind of ultimate rock concert. Uh, with songs like We Were Rocky, We Are The Champions, Bohemian Rhapsody, Another One Bites of Dust, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, You're My Best Friend. There's just so many great songs to choose from. Um, so uh, a lot of people didn't get a chance to see Queen with Freddie uh, back in the day, uh, mm -hmm. and they just have to make do with the videos or whatever they can find on YouTube and things. So we 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 were uh, you know as 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 students growing up uh, you know decades back we we were in the same position. So we we decided to put everything we had into making a show that looked and sounded as close to Queen the Queen experience as, mm -hmm. as possible. So that includes looking, uh, you know, exact recreations of costumes and the look, uh, you know, you know, in terms of facially, as well as working the harmonies and the guitar. And then, of course, added to that, you've got the the amazing stage presence of Freddie Mercury mm -hmm. and that sheer energy that Queen brought to a stage. So that was our kind of mission statement. I know it's ambitious sounding because right. <laughs> these guys are the best, but um, we thought, yeah, let's let's do it. It's what we wanted to see. It's the concert we missed out on seeing. Yeah. So we thought. And initially, we thought we're just going to play to people our own age because we were the first generation that you know that wave had already passed. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, we thought that would be it. We play for one summer and move on. And this was just something that we felt we had to do because we just missed on seeing them live. And mm -hmm. the last UK tour, in, in, it was something, something like '86. That was a big European thing that didn't go to America, but it was everywhere in Europe. So yeah, back in '93, um, we, we we put that show on, and then it just exploded um, we had we were in the West End which is the same as Broadway uh, in London um, within a bit less than a year and a half then all the, all the offers came in from Europe and then Europe uh, arenas and stadiums a few years down the road from that started saying we want you too um, so we ended up playing the same places and, and, and continue uh, uh, once in a while we end up playing the same places the Queen played at their peak too so yeah. um, it's been an extraordinary extraordinary journey yeah I noticed just looking at you know kind of the itinerary I believe Red Rock was one I mean you're not playing little clubs uh, you guys are doing this on, on a big scale Red Rock is it yeah, I mean, Red Rocks is an amazing place, just in terms of just you know altitude alone, and mm -hmm. just the visual, just looking out there with those that, that amazing sort of vista um, when you get out on stage. But also, I mean, we did we, it's our third tour of America uh, this year, um, and we just discovered from right from the get go with American audiences, they just love rock. They're so responsive as audiences um, right. to rock, uh, which is great because I mean, you'd think the whole world is, and the whole world kind of loves rock, and the whole world loves Queen, but. There's something about the way an American audience reacts. I think it's because rock grew up here. Rock came from yeah. here, you know. Um, it's it, it's it's a pleasure to play. So we we look forward to uh, any any tour of America is always kind of like a bit of a uh, sort of an yeah. earmarked thing that we we look forward to. Yeah, I think part of it with Queen. Uh, I don't. I'm, I can't speak for every generation, but I know myself in my 40s. I, I remember. Yeah. You know, obviously the Queen on the on the terrestrial classic rock radio station but the only real new single sure. i remember from queen or at least the big one was radio gaga which was not the most drawing in you know as, as a young fan of heavy metal and things like that you weren't exactly going oh, the radio yeah. gaga song's gonna pull me in but you know over the years you learn to appreciate the sheer volume but they were a band that i don't know anybody who saw queen you know when you go back you yeah know, like, exactly I know people have seen yeah. Elvis and the Beatles and you know the Stones, but I can't. I don't know that I know a single person who could say yes. I saw Queen. Um, I, I think I think Queen. Uh, they stopped touring in America, so it's it's harder for American audiences to say that they've done that because mm -hmm. they stopped touring in America. I mean, like 80, I think their last TV appearance was '82. Their last tour was '81. That was it. You never saw right. them again, and they only really started over there and right. properly in earnest. They had, you know, in terms of headlining their own shows around. 
75, 76 times. So there was a sort of much, much, much smaller window in America to see them live right. uh, than there was, say, in Europe. Um, in Europe, there were countless tours, uh, and right. right the way through 86. Of course, you're right. I mean, Queen had a really diverse range of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when they decided to widen their repertoire and they went down, you know, more sort of Giorgio Moroder sort of synth rock stuff with Radio Gaga or... Yeah. Or, you know, or even it came back with some rock stuff like I Want It All. The American audience, yeah. because they hadn't had a tour, didn't necessarily know, hadn't followed the, the, you know, the, the route of where they'd gone musically. So it always sounded like, what on earth are Queen doing? Yeah. <laughs> just, you, know, you know, in terms of they didn't stick in one genre of the, of the metal you know, uh, and rock genre. They sort of like very much drawn different palettes right the way through their career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. But I think, I think all of that kind of changes really once you've got into the the generation that's got you know music on tap. You've got YouTube, you've got uh, Spotify, and all the other right. uh, millions of other streaming ways of getting music. So whether it was a hit or not back in the day uh, for Queen, whether it's the massive "We Rock You Under Pressure," "We Are the Champions," "Crazy Little Thing Called Love," or whether it was stuff like you know the latest stuff like "Shamus Go On" or the Highlander tracks, "Who Wants to Live Forever." Whether they were massive hits in America 20, 30 years ago doesn't really seem to have much sway with an audience. You get such big reactions from songs yeah. from American audiences. They know the words, they want it, cause, because they've, they've heard it a million times. You know, sure. You're not only going to listen to the stuff that hits the radio. You, you, you can choose your own playlist these days. So we yeah. find it's, it's got a lot more uh, sort of widespread, and it's sort of moved beyond Queen's chart history in terms of song recognition, definitely. Yeah, and it is such a, you know, I think it's such a dynamic performer, even, you know, going back and watching, you know, the videos and then the performances. You know, Freddie was obviously a dynamo on stage. Um, Brian's You're right. yeah, work absolutely. is, is yeah. fantastic. And I think it, kind of in the pantheon of guitarists, Brian May has always been kind of underrated. Um, you know, maybe because he wasn't as big in the United States as, you know, maybe other parts of the world. He wasn't maybe put up with the Robert Plants and... and or, or Jimmy Page, I'm sorry, not Robert Plant. Jimmy Page, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. you know, he, but, you know, there's still a lot yeah, of... Yeah, I guess, there. I mean, as, as I say, over in in Europe, he's very much regarded as, you know, him and Jeff Beck are kind of regarded as the governors in terms of guitar. Um, right. So, as I say, it's difficult to... to you, you, you've got to you got to remember that people have very different takes on it in different parts mm-hmm. of the world. But, yeah, no, he's, he's guitar playing. In fact, if anything, I saw the, I saw the, the, the Queen uh, guys out with Adam Lambert um, when the last time they were over in the UK. And I think his guitar playing is as good, if not as better than it ever has been, and it's always been amazing. Yeah. He's so assured, and his tone is so... It's, ah, it just feels fantastic the moment you hear it. You hear him singing, Roger Taylor singing, harmonising with his guitar, uh, singing Stone Cold Crazy or something. You hear that magic blend, and you just go, oh, wow. You know? So, yeah, I think, I think Queen is still, uh, still kind of reigning supreme in terms of that. How, how yeah. did... In your, I mean, you're obviously much more in touch with the audiences of Queen. You talk to people, I'm sure, who love Queen every night. How was the sure. Am- Adam Lambert... I don't want to call it experiment, but how how do how was that taken by hardcore Queen fans? Well, it, it, it's still. I mean, in any situation where you lose uh, mm-hmm. your lead singer and you don't go down the route, which I think would be a mistake, certainly in Queen's case, of trying to find someone who's a bit like Freddie. Mm-hmm. I think that would just be such the wrong way to go. Um, you need, in in some respects, you need to take everything that you've still got. You've still got Brian. You've still got Roger. You've still got the amazing body of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've still got Spike who toured with them Spike Edney who did all their sort of MDing from about 85 onwards so you've got this got nucleus that's still there and then you need to go you need to take it somewhere else you know you don't want a guy with these sort of like you know amazing you know sort of like sort of vocal style of Freddie but you need something that references that but has its own 
his own thing. So I can completely see where the way they went with uh, Paul Rogers, say, yeah, uh, you know, with all the bad, bad company stuff, because he's got his own blues vernacular. Right. That, 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 I mean, you never say Freddie. He was a blues guy. You know, Freddie could do the blues, but Freddie—that wasn't his genre. You know, he did a lot sure. of theatre. He did a little straightforward rock, and he did a lot of you know very, very beautifully blended um, ballad type singing. And you know, whereas you know, Paul was very much from the sort of uh, from the blues genre. Blues, so that yeah. kind of lent a whole new twist to the song, uh, and and that made them come alive again. And it didn't seem like they were being a tribute to themselves in any way. Adam Lambert, in some ways, is 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 a sort of benefit because he's got because he's not himself locked into a particular rock genre mm-hmm. or blues. You know, he's got um, he's got a he's got a whole range of the, the, the more sort of vaudeville esque, but you know, songs like Killer Queen and Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy and Bicycle and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That would fit in really well. But then he's got the range that he can knock the stuff out of the park for the for the rock and roll stuff. And his voice is a higher voice than Fred's, really. Um, I mean, he's got a higher register when he when mm-hmm. he speaks between songs. It's just it's just 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 a higher voice. It's, it's sure. Um, so it's it's going to sound different. If you're looking for something that wow, I want it to sound like the record, it will kind of sound like the record, but with a different guy singing it. When you've got some songs with a legacy as, as big and as strong as Queen, you can't have someone pushing up there. You need to someone that glides over that stuff and just can you know it's going to nail everything. So yeah. that in in some respects that makes him bulletproof. Because if you're going to try and step into Freddie's shoes, which essentially whether you, you you think you try and talk your way out of it or whatever, you're still trying to do that. No matter you, you're you're taking the lead vocal in, in you know with Queen, mm-hmm. uh, with Brian and with Roger, you've got to make yourself as bulletproof as possible. Um, and if you try and be Freddie, you will always fail. Always, right. you can never do that. If you try and mimic uh, in, in his charisma with Brian and Roger behind you it makes Brian and Roger look foolish and it makes you like on a mission to nowhere whereas if you think okay look I have him you know as, as Adam does that he's, you know he, he sits he sits stands out there he's got his own brand of charisma and he's got his own kind of voice mm-hmm. um, he's undeniably supremely talented as a vocalist then you just have to say okay we've got Brian we've got Roger that's fantastic we're so grateful that you know you guys you know can be bothered to tour and you still love doing this and put on such fantastic visual shows and we've got the, one of the most talented vocalists um, on the planet at the moment which mm-hmm. is in the shape of Adam so you just have to take it on, on those levels of course aesthetically if if you go crazy over that that's great and there's going to be a proportion of people that just want it to sound like it sounded before that's just inevitable right. um, but I think you know they've got the choice of just putting on you know um, the Queen Live DVDs at full blast at home or going to see an act like us right. if they want that um, if they don't want that and they, they, they you know they can they, they want to celebrate you know with Roger and Brian and Adam and this amazing show they're putting on just queue up get in line behind the other hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and go and see them. You know, it's it's up to you. You can you can you can choose to get 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 on board with that, or you can choose to you know uh, or not. You know, personally, having seen the show, and, and and I know people who work on the show, it's 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 a, such a blast. They still they still put on uh, jaw dropping spectacles. The, the production values are still second to none, and they work really well as a team. Yeah, it's it's good to hear. I, I have to admit, I am a huge fan of Paul Rogers, and I actually just just the other oh, day yeah. watched the Paul Rogers, and it's called Paul Rogers and Friends uh, from Montreux, and Brian May plays on that, and I love that they're playing together, but uh-huh. I've never been able to bring myself to watch or listen to anything he did with Queen, because in my mind, oh. I can't get my head around the singer of... Uh, free doing Queen music that just doesn't yeah, work in my mean, brain. But you know what? I, I I absolutely loved it. I think his version of the show must go on sounded fantastic. I thought um, I thought he brought a whole a whole sort of 
uh, the, the, because he was coming from a blues point of view, you've got to, mm-hmm. you, you, you're not just going to turn that out as a vocal. You're not just yeah. going to. Uh, you, it, it's going to have some real soul and heart between the intention of every lyric. Right. And because these aren't his lyrics, he's refinding that intention in the moment all the time. Yeah. Um, and in a really kind of uh, interesting way. And I thought his vocal blend with the guys sounded really, really great. I mean, I was really excited by that. I actually quite liked a lot of tracks off their uh, Cosmos Rocks album as well. I thought, you know, it, it, I thought that was an interesting sort of first step forward. Uh, I think they were still kind of like negotiating who was writing lyrics, and you know, right. I, I detected a bit of bit of you know more work to be done on, on on certain levels in terms of smoothing things out creatively. But I thought musically there were some fantastically interesting things going on there, and I was thinking, okay, great, you know. I mean, I, I kind of missed John Deacon not being there in terms of his input and the bass but um, I thought okay this is this is going to be great unfortunately you know these days it's just really difficult to get you know have the sales and have work that goes into that and the sales that, that follow right. from, from the internet and you know they didn't they didn't move forward that but I thought it was great you should listen to uh, Paul Rogers I, I love I love a lot of that stuff I was yeah, you, pleasantly you know. surprised because I really didn't know whoa and what's great is not just Paul Rogers singing um, Queen stuff it's Queen performing Paul Rogers stuff because they did his stuff too they didn't yeah. just do you know you know, so they did wishing well. They did all right now, um, right. and it sounds amazing. It sounds really good because you've got see, now you're inspiring me to. But I just could oh, never no, wrap really my check head. Oh no, it's really I have always, <laughs> no. you know, to me it was like if, if you said Ozzy Osbourne was going to sing for Van Halen, it just doesn't work in my brain. Um, <laughs> so you hey, know, what's the worst that can happen? You just well, go, nah. or you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think sometimes you're you're afraid sometimes it'll tarnish your opinion of people. You know, it's yeah. just one of those things. I've, I've got, I've got an appalling memory, so it's great. I can try anything out and go, yeah. <laughs> and be as fresh and lazy the next day. So let me um, ask you: no, I mean, uh, you're going out and taking on, you know, the persona of, of an incredibly energetic frontman. Um, what kind of conditioning goes into being able to do all that and sing at the same time? I mean, because he's running around and yeah, I mean, that's yeah, there's not... a lot of that. You have to, you have to, you have to vocally train kind of all the time. You have to. Um, I don't know how Freddie did it. I can't speak for him, but I know what I have to do, um, which is a lot of vocal, you know, stretching and exercising, not just before the show, but kind of like you know throughout the year, mm-hmm. really, and you know, you know, technique. I've seen a lot of. You know, and I've I've gone to the you know the really some really great vocal coaches for some one-on-one sessions now and again when I'm off the road. You know, like mm-hmm. Sam Smith's teacher and things like that. I've I've been dropped in on his, in his London studios and sort of you know said hi and we're good friends. So you know, I think when when it's something like your voice, it's something that stays with you. It's something that grows with you. It's something that's always changing and something developing and getting you know new coordinations and musculature. So you got to look after it. You know, with with that plus the the dynamic of. Uh, uh, you know, a rock performance, and certainly the physicality that Freddie put in. You, you know, you you really have to you really have to um, marshal all your forces in terms of technique, in terms of spontaneity, in terms of connection with the audience. It's it's a real magic mix you've got to get right there. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, Queen would do things slightly differently in terms of his vocal approach. He had a lot of blended falsetto and stuff he'd put on studios, and then a lot of you know. But then he would go full voice for. Um, for a lot of live stuff, so you've got to you've got to have a happy medium between how he sounded live and how he sounds on the record. Right. You know whether people are more, you know, they might not have seen him live. They would have certainly heard a lot of the live tracks that are out there because they're just all over the place. You know, they're so they're so uh, everywhere these days. So yeah, there's a lot of things to take into account um, and to sort of you know uh, you know set your stall up you know for. But um, 
essentially, uh, at the end of the day, you know, the music is great. Um, the music has always, and, and, and in our experience, does always connect right to the back row of any crowd, whether it's 20,000 people, whether it's a concert hall of 2,000 people. It's, right. it's, it's, it, it reaches people and it moves people. Um, and, and for us, that's the, in terms of, yes, it's, it, obviously it's exhausting doing a show like that, but y- you get a little kind of sort of uh, like solar charge of, from the audience, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of like renewable energy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's you get, uh, bec- Because you get, you, get, uh, you get such a positive feeling, you know, um, from these songs and from the reactions. And when you've got thousands of people all singing along with you, you know, it, it does nothing but make you feel great. Yeah, I can see adrenaline flow. That helps. That helps. Oh, massively with en- adrenaline, but also just the power of the music itself. You know, it's sure. not just about, you know, buzz. It's, it's, it's about great music, really. Last question for you. Obviously, you've you've got the the Freddie Mercury kind of trademark mustache. Um, when you have downtime, do you shave that off, um, you, or is that something you've yeah, just learned? Yeah, you know what? You, you I, I I I that comes off the moment I've got time to grow another one between the next one. That is gone. Yeah. <laughs> I I you know I I'm fine with having a tash if I need to have a tash for these <laughs> shows because that's cool because you can't go on stage with that. You know that's such a right. defining kind of you know thing visually. Um, and it really helps, you know. So, but it's not my facial hair of choice. Yeah, it, it's a bit dated at this point, but it's just kind of it's. it's not, I don't know whether it's dated or not. It's just impractical if you're having, you know, pasta sauce or something. You know, you've yeah. got to be there with that every five seconds. You know, you yeah. think, oh. um, so yeah, no, I don't mind. It's it's good fun. Um, um, and it, you know, we're all about authenticity in terms yeah. of look and visual sound. So. You know, deciding that you know, for the sake of your uh, uh, preferences, and you know, with mustaches or no mustaches, you're not going to go with the mustache. I think is a huge mistake. So yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's all part of it's part of the show. Got to do it. All <laughs> right. Well, again, uh, you guys are in town on July 20th. You'll be doing the Carnegie uh, Music Hall of Homestead here in Pittsburgh, and yeah. uh, we look forward so much to seeing when you get into town, Patrick. It's going to be great. Thanks for talking. All right, that about wraps it up. Again, thank you to uh, Patrick Myers who will be with uh, Killer Queen at the 20th at the Carnegie Music Hall of Homestead. And then on July 5th, as I mentioned earlier, Yes will be there celebrating their 50th anniversary. So if you're a fan of classic rock, prog rock, um, you name it, uh, one of those two bands is bound to scratch your nature with you. So get out and see some live music. Uh, It's kind of Iron City Rock's goal to get you interested in seeing some of these events to keep the music industry in Pittsburgh uh, as healthy as possible. So we appreciate your support of us, but we also appreciate your support of live music uh, in Pittsburgh because if you don't go to the shows, they stop bringing them, and that's that's the absolute uh, worst thing that could happen, I think. So we appreciate um, you get out there and get tickets to summertime shows. I think no matter what kind of music you're into, if you're listening to Iron City Rocks, there's half a dozen bands you want to see this summer. So make a point of seeing as many as you can while you can. Is as we learned with Freddie Mercury, you don't always get the chance uh, if you wait. So get out there and see who you can now. I invite you to check out our website, ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. are all forward slash ironcityrocks. Or you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. What do you think of uh, particular types of bands? you want more prog bands? Uh, do you like listening to conversations about some of these uh, tribute bands? Do you not like it? Let us know. We appreciate any and all feedback. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 